And if you haven't read Joshua chapter 10, and I would bet that's most of us in this room. Indeed, some of us in this room have probably never read Joshua chapter 10, and that's okay. But as you hear these names of these cities, let me try to help you understand a bit about the geography. In studying for the sermon, I overlaid Tulsa with Israel to get a sense of how far these people were marching in Joshua. You remember last week, if you were here, I said that after every battle, Israel went back to Gilgal, where these Jordan stones were piled up to remember God's great work in dividing the Jordan River so that they could cross over into the promised land. And I said that they're going back to Gilgal is very much like us coming to worship every week where we remember and we look at the Jordan stones and we see the cross and we see all that God has done for his people. If Gibeon, Gibeon, which is the town that was attacked in this passage that I'm about to read, is Owasso, then Gilgal is Claremore, almost exactly the same distance. So Israel is marching back from Owasso to Claremore for worship between the battles. And Adonai Zedek, who is the king of Jerusalem, which would be somewhere down around Sand Springs, gets together with other kings around Sepulpa and Kellyville, and they're all afraid of what's going down on Owasso. And so they decide to form a pact of five kings, and they march up to Owasso, a.k.a. Gibeon, and attack it. And Israel in Claremore at Gilgal hears about it and marches back over to Owasso. Listen, so we're just talking about Tulsa Metro. That's about how far these people are marching back and forth. Still a long way, no doubt. But that helps you get a sense of the geography as you read this passage. Because for most of us modern Americans, when we read about cities and marches and all-night marches, it can be very perplexing. So if you would, you can remain seated, but listen to God's word as I read the story for us this morning. I'm going to read it, I'm going to explain it, and then we're going to apply it. And we're going to prepare for the Lord's table. This is Joshua chapter 10. Please give your attention to God's precious word. As soon as Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, sent to Horham, the king of Hebron, and to Piram, the king of Jarmuth, and to Japhia, the king of Lachish, and to Debir, the king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel." Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem and the king of Hebron and the king of Jarmuth and the king of Lachish and the king of Eglon, gathered against the forces, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. 
So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Zedekah and Mekedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down to the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Zedekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. And at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Mekedah. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have, found, have been found hidden in a cave at Mekedah. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out. And when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Mecca. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. And then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed, be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees and they hung on the trees till evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remains to this very day. As for Mecca. Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. And he devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining. And he did to the king of Mecca, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you take this text 
a text undoubtedly unfamiliar to many of us. We may have never heard this text since we were little kids, the story of the day the sun stood still in the sky so that Israel would have time to defeat their enemies. Would you sink that story into our hearts? And would you remind us that the Lord Jesus Christ fights for his people and all of nature works together for our salvation. Would you change us, we pray, by this story? It's true. And it's given to us in your word in order for us to leave worship changed. So have your will done in our life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The meaning of the book of Joshua, friends, is that there is an enormous war raging. It is the war of your hearts. It is raging and it is violent and it is so persistent. It is so dangerous that your lack of attention to it just shows how subtle this war really is. The greatest war in the world that's being fought right now, right now, is the raging war over your soul. And the entirety of the book of Joshua is that God has promised you salvation if you believe in him. Not by your perfect works, for there are no works that you could do that are perfect. We all fell in that garden with Adam. And God did not leave us, though he could have. He did not leave us to our own demise by our own choice, but he sent Christ into the world to be the perfect substitute for us to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we should have died. And he secured our salvation permanently and finally. We are before the Father in heaven, if you believe in Jesus, perfect in his sight because of the work of Jesus for us, who is our righteousness. But the principle that's at work all throughout Joshua is that though you are saved, Joshua has given you a land, a land which is a word picture of your heart. It is a word picture that God has saved you, yes, but then he tells you to go and fight for your souls. If there ever was a battle to be involved with, it is the battle for your heart that the Lord Christ has invited every one of you into. Christianity is no passive endeavor. You are saved by the active obedience of Jesus. By your faith in his finished work, you are secure and safe in him. But how do you know you're safe in him? You fight. You sweat. You obey his word. Not to earn yourself righteousness before God but to share yourself to be part of the army of the Lord, part of his people. In Joshua chapter 10, there are two very simple points. That God is the king of nature and that God is the king of the nations. He is the king of nature for the sake of your heart and he is the king of nature for the sake of your heart. Both of these things are true of God because you are his precious trophy. Do you know that? He's the king of nature. If you look in your text, notice what it says. It says 
in 10 verse 42, down at the very end of the chapter, if you have Bibles, you can read it. It's not in your bulletin. But it said that God gave over the five kings to Joshua. They are his, that God did this. And if you read earlier in the chapter, it says that God threw down what? They marched from Claremore, a.k.a. Gilgal, to Owasso, a.k.a. Gibeon, all night in order to surprise these, four king, these five kings who had gone up against Gibeon together. And Joshua marched all night. And in the midst of the battle, what did the Lord do? The Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, do not lose courage. Do not be afraid. I have given you all of those kings into your hand. I have done it, Joshua. But you must march all night from Gilgal to Gibeon. Isn't that how the Lord works? I have done everything. I have secured your salvation by my finished work for you. Now fight. Do what God's word says to do. It is a mark of being part of God's covenant people. There's a principle that we've talked about all throughout the book of Joshua, and it's the indicative imperative principle. God has done something. He has finished it. God has done it. And therefore, we must obey what he calls us to do. God has put us in a new position, justified in his sight, but he has called us to obey his word. Do not get those reversed or you do not understand Christianity. You do not obey in order to get God to love you. He has called you out to believe in him and therefore you obey with renewed motivation, with a completely new outlook on life. God said, Joshua, I have given you all of these people, these five kings in their towns. They are yours. You will defeat them, but you must fight. You must march all night long. And then God says, not only must you fight, but when you're in the battle, what does he do? God says, I will sustain the sun in the sky because Joshua asked the Lord, would you help the sun to stand still so we have time to finish obeying what you called us to do? Isn't that amazing? Joshua knew that God had given them into his hands, but God, Joshua even then said, let the sun stand still so we can obey you even longer and we can defeat these kings. That's astounding. The fight for your soul is a fight of the gods. I said several weeks ago that the god that the Canaanites worshipped was a god called Baal. And Baal was the god of raging torrents, storms, and rivers. And when Israel faced this giant obstacle, this very formidable foe, this Jordan River. I said some weeks ago that it was really a, a battleground of the gods. Israel was just a part of that story. It was a battle between God and Baal, the God of all of nature and Baal, the river God. And when Israel marked with the ark and they went through the river, what happened to the river? It parted. And all of the Canaanites looking over the walls of Jericho would see this river parted and they would understand that the God of Baal, their God had been defeated. It was a battle of the gods. But then as Israel marched further to Jericho, the Canaanites also had, what, great confidence because not only was Baal the god of the rivers, well, Baal may have been defeated at the river, but the moon goddess is the goddess of the city. And so the moon goddess would surely protect them with her high walls, double thick. 
And so what happened to Jericho? Again, Jericho was a battle of the gods. As the walls came tumbling down and all of the Canaanites who lived in Jericho began to recognize this is not a battle between two nations. It is a battle for the souls of the hearts of the human race. The greatest battle raging in your heart and in mine is the battle for our souls. Do you fight for your own soul? It's very hard, if I can just be really honest with you, as I always am, but be very frank. It's very hard sometimes for us to read the Bible and see these commands and not get worn out by them. And we get worn out by them because we invert the indicative imperative principle and we begin to believe that we do these things because it changes God's perspective of us. And if God's perspective of us is already holy, we're already holy in his sight, well then why do these things? And there's this conundrum in our hearts. Let me just challenge you with this perspective that may help you. You know, when you go to Barnes and Nobles, there's a whole section in the bookstore for self-help, right? How to lose weight, five steps to losing weight, how to be a millionaire, seven steps to be a millionaire, how to read a book in an hour, these five steps to be a speed reader, how to have a good golf swing, you can go see Rob, or you can buy a self-help book, you know, and you can learn how to have a good golf swing. It's all there. There's no section in Barnes and Noble, by the way, that says how to help others, is there? And we wonder why we're not very fulfilled. Like many statistics say that 90% of us at work are not fulfilled in our work. Why? Because we sit in our little cubes and we just type all day long and we never interact with other people. And if we do, we interact with them because we need something from them. There's, it's always an economic exchange. And if you're not careful, that bleeds in, that kind of lack of real fulfillment bleeds into your own social relationships. We are social creatures. We were made to be social. That's why, that's why the benefit of having worship where you have a we're together. We're not looking at screens in our pajamas at home. We're together. Why? Because we are made to be social creatures. There's something that happens here. Even if the sermon stinks, you will leave church and you will say, ah, the speaker, ah, the sermon, ah, ah, ah. but I'm sure glad I went because of the dynamic, social dynamic of being together as people who believe common things. So here's the challenge to you. If you have a hard time obeying God's word for you, Stop obeying God's word for you. Obey God's word for others. Do what God asks us to do and fight for your soul for the sake of your spouse, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your neighbor. You are made to be social beings. But even in our sanctification in the evangelical church, we can tend to view obedience of God's expressed will, even those of you who are very theologically minded, as intensely personal, and you're becoming no, numb and worn out by it, obey God's word for the sake of other people. God is the God of nature. Do you remember the story in Matthew 8 or Mark 4 where Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat and there's a raging storm, the Sea of Galilee? And the disciples are scared and they go to Jesus. Jesus, wake up, wake up, wake up. There's a storm and we're all going to die. And Jesus, you know, gets out of the boat, rubs his eyes. 
and says to the raging storm, hush, be still. And nature obeys him. Jesus is the Lord, the king of nature for you. He's not doing that for him. Although, yes, he does everything for his glory's sake. He's doing it so that you may recognize that the Lord of nature, the one who controls everything, who can throw down hailstones so that more Canaanites are killed by the stones that fell from heaven than were killed by the sword of Israel. He's doing that to win you, to remind you of his power, to remind you to go out and fight because he's given you the land. Are you fighting? Are you his? We fight and we follow behind Jesus, the warrior king, who is fighting for us to achieve the victory over sin's tyranny we could never achieve. He's the king of nature. He's also the king of nations. He's the king of nations. Notice what it says in the text. If you lower your eyes down there, you have Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, who's rightly scared after he sees what happens to Gibeon, a royal city, a small city with a much greater influence than its population would warrant. So he forms an alliance with these other kings. And it says in verse eight, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I've given them into your hands. God has given into his hands these five kings. And the Lord therefore says, fight, march all night if you must to defeat these kings. And it says in verse 10, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Akeda, Azedeka, and Mekeda. Listen, the people, God gave them into their hands, but the people had to strike. God has given you salvation, but you must lean into his word. You must become the people he wants you to be. God has given you the joy of salvation. Now take it. Become who you are, friends. Clothed in no righteousness but, uh, of your own, but only in the righteousness of Jesus. It makes you incredibly bold because you're not serving other people in order to get something back. You become truly generous people who want to give your life away with zero in return. And you can only be that kind of person, authentically be that kind of person. Well, you, can, you can fake it as long as you want, but everybody sees through that. But you can only be that kind of person when you begin to see the enormous extent to which Jesus gave himself away for you. Because he conquered nature. He was, of course, the creator of it. And he conquered even the most formidable foes against you. First a river, then a city. Now these five kings. He has conquered them for you. But oh, friends, he calls you to fight. And unlike last week, when the great mistake of Israel was to be presumptuous and to not pray for God's help. This week, Joshua, in the midst of the battle, says, son, stand still. And he prays to the Lord in the midst of the battle. And shocked, the recorder of Joshua says, and the Lord listened to the voice of a man. 
Children, do you know that when you pray, God hears your voice? Isn't that amazing? He hears you when you pray. He doesn't just hear your mom and dad. He hears you. And you can talk to him just like you do to your mom and dad. And you can say, God, I need your help. And no, you may not feel like he hears you. He hears you. And he's with you. And the mark that you are fighting for your souls in sanctification is that your prayer life deepens and increases. Now, I don't mean like, I, listen, please hear me. Inauthentic Christianity is the scourge of modern evangelicalism. Not talking about like forcing yourself into some routine, although sometimes those spiritual disciplines are helpful to get you going. I'm saying that you believe the gospel so much that you find that the default of your life is to call out, oh Lord, help me. It becomes your vital breath and your native air, like the Puritans used to say. Is that true of you? Advent is a perfect time to begin to do that with your family. To sit down every night or several times a week and just say, we are going to pray together that this Christmas we can long not for the presents we get around the tree, but we can long for Jesus to return, of which all those presents are pictures when he comes to make everything new, to give us our full salvation, justified, sanctified, and glorified. In verse 10, it says, the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran. But if you have an ESV, notice that there's a little footnote in your ESV because in Hebrew, a better reading of that text is that you should say he before each of those verbs. So it should be read like this. And the Lord threw them into a great panic before Israel and he struck them with a great blow at Gibeon. And he chased them by the way of Beth Haran and he struck them as far as Azekah uh, and Mekedah. It is the Lord who goes before us, but it is the Lord who fights your battles. When you think of Jesus as this gentle shepherd, let me help you change your image of Jesus because shepherds were not gentle. They were fierce with knives in their mouth watching over the sheep and they would fight the lions for you. In the end of the Bible in Revelation, this is how Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 19. It says, Then I saw opened heaven and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war and his eyes are like flames of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe, dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth, this is no gentle shepherd, comes a sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he saw an angel standing there and he said, 
Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both slave and free, small and great. This is no gentle shepherd. This is Jesus, your savior, who's fighting for you against all the gods and their arrayed mites for your soul. That is the word picture of the book of Joshua, which is encapsulated in this chapter, chapter 10, where the Lord controls nature and the nations to woo you and to win you back in to right focus to see how beautiful and believable he is. Wives, please do not believe the gospel for the mere sake to please your husband. Believe the gospel for your husband's sake because he needs to see it in you. Husbands, do not believe the gospel merely for the sake of your children or your wife, but believe it because the Lord has called you into the greatest battle of your life. And your lack of awareness of that battle just shows you how unbelievably subtle that battle is. Christians, we fight and follow behind King Jesus, the warrior king who fights to defeat sin's tyranny in our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This Advent, as we approach a time of renewal in God's covenant, would you believe that not one of God's promises fail? as it says at the end of the book of Joshua, not one of his promises will fail, but you must fight for it. And you can do so because your great warrior king fights before you, leaving you in its train, in its wake, to join him in the battle, which you're called to do today. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to see the warrior king, even Jesus Christ, fighting for us? Would you help us to join him in battle, to take what is ours, to possess our possessions, to receive what he has given, to fight for it? Because, Jesus, you fight for us. And no matter what the odds seem, and no matter how dire our situations may appear, your promises to us never fail. So help us to follow and fight before, behind the king of nature, the king of nations, who lived and died to win the battle for us. Help us, Lord Christ, to fight because you've accomplished the victory for us. In Jesus' name, amen.